0: Their debut album was Get The Knack. It had one monster song, it had a lesser follow-up single, and then the band rode the wave of success as best they could before breaking up, reforming, and then never duplicating the initial explosion. But how could they? Right? This week our show, Rock, Pop, and Roll, Re-examining The Knack. song right my sharona from get the knack the album is it is is it a classic now we got to listen to it again before dismissing we're far enough removed from that summer of 1979 to revisit some of the cuts on that album again play some gems from their six album catalog the sound that was essentially power pop a genre that they nearly killed by being so successful seriously and most of that debut album especially side one through my sharona was as good as anything made of of that time and essentially it was at the time the same sound that tom petty was making until he hit another gear with the damn the torpedoes album the rest of the knack albums nothing is good Nothing even close, but they kept the idea alive that you could be a band that takes the tropes of 60s rock, 60s rock and roll, 70s power pop, blend them, and make them a sound that was their own. Welcome to the Rock, Pop, and Roll podcast. This is episode number 10. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Nichols. We talk rock and roll and pop music from the playlist of the decade that was the 1980s, directly live as we speak. From the heartland of America, right here in the middle of Indiana. Get the Knack was recorded for about $17,000. Took him about two weeks to do it. Isn't isn't that the way that it should be? Right? The Knack performed the songs live with minimal overdubs. Mike Chapman was the producer. He was the guy who was behind the board with Blondie's Heart of Glass single. So he said he basically hit the record button, let the band play. The sound of the album, a lot of it that was ahead of its time was because of the drums, I think. Get the Knack is different than a lot of hit records that were being made in the late 70s had a big booming sound. Had a Drummer Bruce Gary was using a big snare, thundering toms, and a lot of room echo. That wasn't happening in the late 70s. It would be five years later in the middle of the 1980s. Um, But if you listen to that album again, it's just got a presence, and I think the drums drive that presence. The first song on the album was Let Me Out, had the Keith Moon drums, the punk with lip gloss vocal shouts, had a rhythm section that threatened to push singer Doug Figer to keep up. Tonight, 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 he was screaming, followed by, at the end, 25, Let Me Out, Let Me Out, and a scream. It's really, it's freaking brilliant. It's a call to action. It's... The Knack saying, we're going to hit it hard tonight. trick sound to that don't you think there's some cheap trick that runs through the whole career of the knack now mike chapman who was the producer he would go on to produce the follow-up album as well but the first record was the one that captured the magic yeah it's about girls it's about love it's about lust it's about sex and if you listen to the, listen to those words that they sing. It's also the story of a singer, of someone who's trying to cover up vulnerability with a little false bravado. That's what I think. It's also sophomoric. There's some misogynist lyrics in there. You can't get around that. It's an album that probably would not be made today, but in in its time, it was huge. It was released in June of 1979. Get the Knack became an immediate success. They were influenced the the image that the knack was putting out there was influenced by the beatles there's no getting around it the album cover imitated meet the beatles they they used the capital records 1960s rainbow label on the lp as it spun around on your on your record player just like the beatles did uh, according to legend that was something that was written into the knack's contract that they had to be able to use that rainbow label the album sold a half a million copies in just 13 days was Capitol Records' fastest-selling debut album since Meet the Beatles, 1964. By August, the album was number one on the Billboard uh, album chart, the Billboard 200. It was called Stayed There for Five Weeks. Another of the best from that album is a song called Your Number or Your Name. It's where we get some more Beatles influence. It's vocals like the Beatles had atop top a '60s rocker, and actually, if you listen to it, it's the knack beating REO Speedwagon to the sound that would send that Illinois road dog REO band to a zillion album sales a couple of years later with high-end fidelity. You can hear it, especially as it, we'll listen to a little bit of this cut about halfway through it. You go, oh, that sounds like REO—just a clean, powerful production. Again, you got some flying drums from Bruce Gary. It's a The album we told you the album was a smash. So was that lead single, "My Sharona," Uh, immediate success. It was uh, number one for six weeks on the Hot 100 chart, and it was the fastest selling debut single since the Beatles. "I Want to Hold Your Hand." And if you remember, there's a couple of pieces in this uh, on that song. That stand out to me that make it more than just okay, it's a number one song that spent some time at number one. There's there's layers, if you dig down, that make you that just hit you. Just makes my gut hits me right there. Feels good in the rock and roll soul. One of those pieces was a little raunchy, two bar, quick guitar solo right in the middle of that song, almost out of place on this glossy cut. Brilliant. Unhinged produced pop, and it sounded so good. Of that song, that little guitar solo just is—it's nasty. And then the band lets loose at the end, like a skinny tie freight train, complete with a false ending of uh, of the song, to push the tune to it's to more of a rock and roll piece than just a slice of radio pop. A, a glorious piece of radio pop that burned way too bright to survive the blowback. But, but towards the end of this song, oh, I just love the way it. It kicks into gear and then kicks into another gear and does double time. And it, again, sounds really, really good turned up loud. All right, here they go. Isn't that good? Come on, come on! That is so good. I love it every time I hear. I turn that up every time I hear it at the end of that song. Now, the follow-up single to My Sharona was a song called "Good Girls Don't." Now, it was on the same album. It peaked at number eleven in the United States. It did reach number one in Canada. It had some of the same leering lyrics from that high school point of view about a girl who wants it, or so the singer tells himself. It's, it's great, it's angry, it's wrong, it's right. It's a, it's a pop tune from The Knack, right? It's the tune that critics point to when they want to trash the band, though. Yeah, it's sophomoric. And it's a song that sticks in your ear, though, after the album is done. Teen Lust hitting us over the head with a bit of a backbeat. sticky, sweet romance But she makes you want to scream Wishing you could get inside her pants So you bend your sides away While you're squeezing her About the teachers that she meets, and she says she's all alone, and her parents won't be coming home till late. tough to follow up uh, my Sharona and it did go to number 11 a little bit of a momentum hit good girls don't from the knack and uh, get the knack album they did actually release re-release that album in uh, 2002 and included on there a cover of uh, Bruce Springsteen's song a darkness on the edge of town outtake called "Don't Look Back," which the Knack recorded in 1979, was left off that album. Um, but there's a string that also runs. We, t- you know, we talk about Cheap Trick running through the Knack uh, history. There's two or three stories, and and we'll tell you one good one, one more later on about Springsteen and the Knack and how they are intertwined. So When Springsteen reunited the E Street Band in 1999, they started playing that song again. And and the version was very similar to how the Knack made it sound there. So that that right there is pretty much the Get the Knack album. We'll look at some other stuff here in a minute uh, as we move forward. But the blowback began. uh, It was starting starting to happen even as the album was winding down Nuke the Knack. There was a, uh, a designer in San Francisco, Hugh Brown, who had he, his one of his claims to fame was he had designed the Give Him Enough Rope album cover for The Clash. He started the Nuke the Knack campaign, had some T-shirts made, some buttons, some bumper stickers. Writers, music writers began to criticize the band. They said they were arrogant, too much hype, the misogynist attitude expressed in their songs. The band did not help themselves by not doing interviews. But they cranked out another album. Six months after they released Get the Knack, they had an album called But the Little Girls Understand, and it reached number 15 on the Billboard 200 album chart in 1980. Had a couple of singles, uh, Baby Talk Dirty and Can't Put a Price on Love. The first one went to number 38. Can't Put a Price on Love was uh, a peak of number 62. It It was essentially a rewrite, that Baby Talks Dirty, a rewrite of My Sharona. And they essentially admitted it in multiple places. It had that halting and starting My Sharona uh, uh, gate. It was not a great single. Uh, again, it sounded a little bit like Cheap Trick. They said, Doug Figer said they wrote it around the same time, wrote all the songs on that album this around the same time as they wrote the Get the Knack album, which they would have had to because it came out just six months after that, first album and they were on the road they were touring they were uh, there was stuff going on Uh, but they released baby talks dirty as the first single single from the second album, Rock, Pop, and Roll, reexamining the career of the Knack on that album. But the little girls understand the name of the album. They had some uh, 70s raspberries throwback, uh, a song called I Want Ya. Uh, they had a 60s Bo Diddley beat with Tell Me Your Mind," Mine, which had some Elvis and Springsteen low-register singing, had kind of an echo of She's the One from Springsteen. And speaking of uh, that, Springsteen influence uh, sounded a little bit like his Darkness on the Town um, album. Just a little bit. You can hear some of it, the country-tinged uh, version. It was not a hit song, but it was a good slow burner called Can't Put a Price on Love. <laughs> I hear the springsteen in there anyway that's a deep cut from the knack hold on tight on that album it had a little buddy holly to it some new wave tom petty guitars on a song called the hard way and last train to clarksville guitars on a song called it's you so that the album was not a complete disaster uh, but was not a huge out-of-the-box smash either uh, the the band not a lot different than Cheap Trick. Oddly similar. Came from the Midwest, the same mid to late 70s to early 80s, early heyday. And where Cheap, Cheap Trick figured out how to keep going, they never had to deal with that hyper-success of a smash hit single in the magnitude of, of My Sharona. The Knack uh, did not have uh, that liberty. They had to follow up the, the good and the bad of that Get the Knack album. The third studio album... As we look at uh, the knack reexamined on rock, pop, and roll, episode number ten. The third studio album was called Round Trip. It was released in 1981. So they bang, bang, bang. This was the third of those three. It received generally not good critical reviews. It did reach number 93 on the album chart. The single, the first single called Pay the Devil, ooh baby, ooh hit at number 67 on the Hot 100 and it was not a good not a good choice I don't think for the first single you can find differing opinions but my opinion is not not the strong song on that album Round Trip was produced by a guy named Jack Douglas who did the classic Aerosmith albums of the uh, 1970s he also worked with Cheap Trick and he worked with the New York Dolls among others Douglas gave the band kind of I think a fuller sound but there was not a lot of great songs on that album but there was one that i really dig a pounding slow grinding song an ode to rock and roll called she likes the beat bit of magic on that third album she likes the beat from uh, the knack serious fun was the next album they released their fourth album didn't get released until 1991 so a 10-year break it was a comeback after a decade-long separation they did have a tour with it and they did have a, a rock radio hit single uh, called rocket of love rocket o love actually rocket o uh, love Don was was the producer. He was a friend, Detroit guy. Was a friend of Doug feiger since high school. Was produced. He's produced Bonnie Raitt, The Rolling Stones, done a lot of classic uh, uh, rock bands. Any good producer. W- uh, word came time though that when the second single was ready to be released, the label said, "Ah, we're, we don't have any more interest in releasing a second single." They did called One Day at a Time that went nowhere. But that Rocket of Love went to it was a top ten rock radio song went to number nine back in 1991 and uh i think it's i think it's worth another listen sound like a little like poison to you when he goes and now listen Ah, guitar solo cc uh, rock of the love did, it? and it was top ten, was a hit for him on the on the rock radio charts. Kind of like romantics, the romantics, another Detroit band crossed with uh, an album rock band, got him on the radio. Uh, and then that, that album also had uh, had another song that had some ACDC dc guitars in it. We I mean, want to take a little listen to this one, just just for fun, called "River of Sighs." Chirana, isn't it success, mixing up a yeah, i just thought it'd be fun just to take a little listen to them grinding out the guitars that's the knack they released an album again in 1998 called zoom they re-released it as Rezoom a few years later uh, it was their second comeback attempt terry bazio played drums bruce gary was no longer playing drums with them Allmusic.com, it's a good little review website, called it their best album since their debut. I think the quote they used was a de sleezed version of The Knack. Do we really need a de sleezed version of The Knack? <laughs> we got it. Uh, all retros, all retro 1960s sound and stuff. Uh, and then Normal as the Next Guy was their final album, the sixth and final album by The Knack in 2001. Doug Figer, the lead singer, he battled brain and lung cancer. He died in February of 2010. Drummer Bruce Gary, he died four years earlier, August of 2006, following a battle with lymphoma. He was 55. Figer was 57. Uh, Bruce Gary did have a great career as a session drummer. He recorded with George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, Sheryl Crow. Get the Knack, the, uh, the first album, though ultimately dismissed as too catchy, too ubiquitous, too Beatlesque, too derivative, too fabricated, and simply too much knack, right? But those were all truths and convenient lies. It was really a case of, of overplay and overkill and some perceived arrogance from a band that probably was and wasn't. In the end, That first album, I think, holds up 40 years later as something that was somehow ahead of its time, probably, as I said, impossible to make today, lyrically anyway. But there were people who dug it, even though they couldn't say it. Sex Pistol guitarist Steve Jones said he was a fan. He was interviewed for the documentary Getting the Knack. He said, quote, I've played that album a million times, but I couldn't really tell people because it was kind of uncool being from the Sex Pistols and that whole era, Jones said. Uh, But he also said, I loved that album. They encapsulated that 60s and late 70s sound, the new wavish, put that all together. And it was the sound of the knack and of other bands became their own. Critics banged on him for it, though. They said they were too derivative, but they did it really well and it rocked. And I say, hey, what's wrong with that? People loved it until they were told not to. The Knack had that thing that made them explode, even if most of the rest of what they recorded never duplicated that initial flame. Now, there is a live album from the Knack called Live from the Rock and Roll Funhouse. It was released in 2002, about 15 years after that Get the Knack debut album. And the live albums, it's an energetic run through some songs of their career. They released it as a, a faux soundtrack, a fake soundtrack, an imaginary '60s television broadcast. It was a live performance, but it was a imaginary TV show. And so, if you listen to it, the audience comes off sounding sweetened, but really, that's just a road bump in the way of of listening to guys play. They're, they're past their their prime. Not eh, they're past their heyday. It's not the glory days of the Knack anymore. But it's a spirited piece. Original drummer Bruce Gary not on it, so the band is something less than on fire because of that. Bruce Gary was really a good drummer, but it's a worthwhile piece to at least take a listen to. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Spotify highlights a band that's down the road at 90% of their greatness. They come off sounding good. Uh, Burton Avery a great rocking guitarist and he's on it. And to be complete, there is a YouTube concert from Carnegie hall from the days of the fire back in October of 1979 uh, when they had blown up and were huge. And uh, it's a nice, complete artifact of the time when the Knack wasn't afraid to show the new stuff and play some of their influences at that Carnegie Hall show. They, they covered Hard Day's Night. They covered Eddie Cochran's Come On, Everybody, uh, Not Fade Away. Uh, they still hadn't hit the wall. They were ultra hot, but they hadn't hit that overloaded, unfairly whiplashed, success that they built so it's worth checking that one out live at Carnegie Hall so there you go that's a re-examining of the knack we got one last fact coming up hang on we're gonna go for that in just a minute first we want to tell you this is rock pop and roll if you want to subscribe to rock pop and roll if you don't already apple podcasts spotify iHeartPodcasts, podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts you can subscribe thanks for listening to us find us on twitter at 80s rock pop roll email us rock pop roll podcast at gmail.com if you like the show tell somebody share the love help us build that audience we'd love you for it 80s pop rock and roll we talk about it right here on every podcast and we always end with one last fact and today that last fact is the finality of that well not really the finality it was actually uh the the beginning of that relationship between springsteen and the knack bruce gary the drummer met bruce springsteen the singer in san diego after a springsteen show uh, back in 78, he asked Springsteen if he had any songs that the Knack could use in their stage show. Springsteen offered two unreleased songs, a song called Rendezvous and the song we heard earlier called Don't Look Back. They turned down Rendezvous. Uh, that was one that would eventually go to Greg Ken. Remember Greg Ken? But they did record Don't Look Back. The tune was originally scheduled to to appear on that Get the Knack album. They recorded it in April of 79 at MCA Studios. But it was pulled at the last minute uh, at the request of Springsteen's management. Springsteen was going to release it before the Knack were going to release it. And and neither ever happened, really. Uh, The Knack had to put it out on that re-release of that original album in 2002. But Bruce did come to a Knack show. It was l a it was october seventeenth nineteen seventy eight at the troubadour in Los Angeles Now this was before the knack had the album out. this was they were just gigging man they were just playing shows they were building the audience, building the buzz and Springsteen showed up and we've got audio. I found the audio of that night, so we cut a little piece of it together. Bruce joined him for um for a couple of songs that he was actually doing in in his show on his set lists at that time uh, Mona which was a Bo Diddley song and Not Fade Away into each other so I thought let's do this to take us home it's Springsteen and the Knack from that night in October of 1978 at the Troubadour thanks for listening see you next time I'm Rob be good to each other there's a guest here I don't know if he wants to play or not but they call him the boss. This is-